On today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about a new lithium-ion battery breakthrough, the first electric autonomous container ship, Lordstown Motors running out of cash, Ohio becoming a huge solar panel manufacturing hub, and more. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy and a very special guest. Do you want to introduce him, Ricky? Very special guest. So all of us met for the very first time at Fully Charged Live in Austin, Texas in 2019. Yep. Believe it or not, that was over two and a half years ago at this point. But this is Robert, who we met. Robert, why don't you tell us what you were doing at Fully Charged and your cool... Yeah, I was there. I was presenting a electric Suzuki motorcycle that I uh, converted from gas to electric. Um, and uh, had my Zero there and uh, bought it out and took it on the track, and it was a great time. So It's awesome yeah, to have I you with us. Tell- <laughs> Absolutely. I remember him telling me he bought the battery cells from a Nissan Leaf yep. with seven miles on the odometer. Some guy shakes the hand and says, thank you for this brand new car, like pulls out of the lot and crashes into a tree or something. And that was that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually it was in the winter and he uh, he slid it on the ice and put it right into the barricade just outside of the dealership. Made it really easy for uh, for salvaging the vehicle, but uh, <laughs> sucks to be him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's awesome to have you here. I appreciate it. Let's start, jump right into it. And uh, by the way, for the people watching, our fans, uh, email us and let us know. We, we want to start having uh, guest viewers, so we'll definitely do that. Let's jump into our first story. I think, yep. Robert, you're kicking it off? Yeah, sure. So Nanograph has come out with their new 18650 format, um, which is really cool. The, the important thing about them is they actually say they've got an 800-watt-hour uh, silicon anode-based cell. Um, and that in itself is is great. It's roughly two and a half times what the current Tesla 18650 has. Um, now, the, the reason that that's important is this is actually strongly backed by um, the U.S. Council for Automotive Research, um, which is powered by Ford and General Motors and FCA. Uh, I know how much you love FCA, uh, Ricky. I'm a big fan. Um, But (laughs) they gave them $7.5 million for a development project, and this was the outcome of this. Um, And they spun off and they created Nanograph. Um, So it's really a great thing, especially because everyone is using the 18650s now. Everyone from vaping to the cars um, through electric bikes and, and all the other projects out there. They're all using 18650. So any time that we can get a, a more dense battery cell out of it, the better it's going to be. Um, so it's going to be really good. And the fact is that they've done this improvement in less than three years. Um, so it's it's great. Um, the, the other thing about it is they're also going to be using that for uh, powering offshore. They're going to work with a, a group offshore uh, to build up the... Uh, power bank offshore uh, using wind turbines, um, and that'll be just off uh, off my home coast in uh, in Houston, Texas. So it'd be great to, to see those going up and uh, get those going as well. So this is a really cool one because we talk about all these home run technologies. Um, I, whenever I do videos on this new battery will add range to cars, people love those videos. I think everybody's thinking what comes next. But the reality is there's a lot of optimization to be had with our current lithium-ion. First and foremost is our our anode choice, which currently is largely graphite. The the benefit of moving to silicon is that it's far more energy dense, like much less of the anode would have to be dedicated to, much less of the battery would be dedicated to the anode, and you could store as much lithium. So 
the cathode increases in size, the anode shrinks in size, the energy density goes up. It's a win-win. The challenge, of course, is that uh, silicon anodes, anodes, I keep saying anodes, anodes um, <laughs> will expand on charging. So that's the difficulty is volumetric expansion, which is not a good thing for batteries. You got to really keep them in, in some uh, compression. But there's there's been some breakthroughs with various um, technologies to kind of mitigate that and increase our percentage of silicone, which, which is which is kind of the, the game changer here. And I like to see companies making tr- breakthroughs with our current stuff as opposed to like everybody being pie in the sky. I'm, I'm, I'm all <laughs> for, for like 30 or 40 percent pie in the sky, but I like a little bit of <laughs> yeah. in the yeah. real world. My, my, my big question is I'm, I want to make sure that they, they know that they've got, uh, I'm sure they have, but th- make sure that they've got the heating for charging uh, taken care of, you know, because thermal expansion on cells like that is is a big thing i mean that's one of the big things with with tesla is the 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 heat mitigation on those packs so it'll be really interesting to see how they how they handle that yeah it's it's, it's there's been so much research around silicon as the anode like there's so many companies that are doing this it's really interesting to see like this is one of the kind of the first ones that's kind of getting some press and news right now where there's so many companies that are still yet to come. So it feels like it's just the beginning of a wave that we'll probably see over the next five years or something like that of more and more battery companies coming out with batteries like this. So it feels like there's kind of like a little bit of a leap in uh, progress we're about to see in battery technology, where it's been kind of a slow roll for the past decade. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes forward out of this. Agreed. I'm not sure if this sort of tech is going to make its way into EVs anytime soon, but yeah. Maybe in the next couple of years, uh, that might exactly be what happens. Ready for the next story? Yeah. All right. So we'll jump over to meet the world's first electric autonomous container ship. Uh, this is from a company called uh, Yara Berkland, and it's been delivered to a Norwegian fertilizer company. And it's they've been working on this for the past several years, but it's an all-battery autonomous ship. And for me, the more important part of this is not the autonomy, it's the electric side of it. It's battery electric container ship, which there's been a lot of like, could you do that? Well, here's an example of one. Um, the maiden voyage they did uh, went was a seven-hour journey from Brevik to Horton, which is about, it looks like, I looked on a map, it's about 100 kilometers or so. And it's going to be ha- only hauling about 40 to 60% of its capacity until the end of the year as they're kind of like working out the kinks and testing it. But the interesting part is the battery is in the bottom of the ship and acts acts as the ballast. So it doesn't have a separate ballast system. So it's kind of a clever use of that extra weight that it needs for the battery pack. And uh, as far as the autonomy side of things, it has electric cranes, which will automatically load and unload equipment when it's at port. It'll of course drive itself to the port. It's like you technically will not need a human being to do much of anything on this, which of course has its pros and cons because that's going to take people's jobs, but it could make this for a very efficient means of transporting shipping. And the important part to remember is 90% of the world's goods are moved at sea. So the more of these that we get on the sea, the better. So what do you guys think about this? I, I really like it. Um, and the really cool thing that I like about it is actually, so um, the propeller system that it uses is something called an Azipod system. Well, this is Azipod 2.0. Uh, which is called Azipool. So instead of a traditional Azipod, which actually pushes uh, the ship through the water, it actually has turned the Azipods around and actually pulls them. So instead <laughs> of, you know, 
pulling the it basically pulls the ship from the from the back. Um, that's really great because it reduces uh, consumption by a drastic amount, and so you've got now a great pro uh, propeller system with a great ship that's running on all electric, and the efficiency on it is going to go through the roof. Um, the other one is, of course, the autonomous docking. Um, we're a little bit easier, I think, than uh, than a SpaceX Dragon capsule, but uh, <laughs> still a great, great way to do it. So I'm I'm hoping that we'll see some more information about it. Uh, be nice to see some some videos of it actually moving around in the power um, in the future here, Ricky. Yeah, so I like the idea. I like that they're proving it out. But I mean, the problem really for me is, imagine how many cells this thing would require. I, I'm thinking it's going to be in the order of... Gigawatts, at least. Right. I, I'm thinking you might be able to make, like, 500 EV vehicles, like passenger cars, with the same amount of battery supply. So, invariably, for me, what it comes down to is, like, a passenger vehicle has limited space, has fit in your garage. There's limitations there. So, I think we should go with the cutting-edge stuff, the lithium-ion battery, the most cutting-edge varieties especially, Keep those for the passenger vehicles, the really where space matters. And then for this, I, I think quite a few things could work here. Uh, Matt has done a video, and I have it on my board, for like modular nuclear reactors, right? Like small scale, you don't have to have like, it doesn't have to be a naval, like a Navy aircraft carrier, but smaller scale nuclear. Or might hydrogen have a place here? Um, I, I did a video recently on aluminum air batteries, which is not really a battery, it's more of a fuel cell and has to be recycled. But... Which I think uh, for these kinds of larger applications, we should be thinking about, if nothing else, at least like you know we can go with like iron, uh, iron phosphate batteries instead of like really cutting edge nickel chemistries. But we should be thinking about what other ways, more like less space volumetrically efficient ways, can we go, leaving the battery supply for the cars, which really have no other option. We're not going to be seeing cars with hydrogen. I don't think. Yeah, any, but I mean, what they way. could do is they could do something like using cobalt instead. Um, which aren't straight on the cutting edge, but they cobalt? still, uh, yeah, uh, lithium magnesium cobalt instead, um, and using you know something like that instead of uh, the, uh, one of the other cells. So, well, Robert, you brought up an interesting point about the propellers, like how it's going in reverse. If that's so much more efficient, why are they not doing that in that was, other ships? It's like that was my first question. So <laughs> they, they they are slowly getting there with with other okay. ships. So um, the um, I'm trying to remember the the ship's name now. Um, it was actually one of the first commercial uh, ships that actually had an Azipod system on it. Um, and it was developed for using a, um, uh, in a commercial system. And they, they noticed the efficiency was off the charts. Um, and they were wondering, you know, why it was. Um, uh, the ship know. was called the Elation. Oh, that's it. The Elation. Yeah. Um, it was that's right. Um, it's one of Carnival's cruise ships, um, and they were wondering why it wasn't using as much uh, fuel to 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 sail uh, between uh, uh, I believe it was between Florida and uh, the Bahamas. Um, and they actually took on engineers to actually investigate why it was, and um, <laughs> they they realized well it's actually just it's that efficient, um, but it also requires a complete regut of the engine bay. So. That's uh, that's one of the things about it. So, yeah, hopefully we'll see more of that. Just no matter what the fuel source is, whether it's a hydrogen or nuclear or battery, it's like it seems like we should be moving to that no matter what the fuel source is. Yeah, I think we need to champion 
like Tesla has been for the passenger vehicle and the lithium-ion battery. I mean, just look what Tesla's done in two decades with the lithium-ion battery. It's wild. Nobody could have predicted what we'd be able to do. But I feel like we need a champion for the larger scale applications, like somebody Tesla-esque who can come in with aircraft and large freighter ships in mind and say, let's talk about the future of what we, we want to do. Because I really hope that it's a separate thing. Speaking of cobalt and some of these things, I mean, you know, there's there's a huge cost associated with all this stuff. And there's going to be a huge demand. You can yeah. imagine how many companies are going to be. You have an R1T reservation with Rivian. I mean, the number of companies are just getting started. So um, I hope there's some other alternatives out there. Also, the autonomous part. You mentioned job loss, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, that's got to be a much more uh, low-stress, low-key challenge to solve than like a self-driving car. It's like, go straight for six hours. <laughs> um, so that should be fun to see how that comes along. But again, cost of goods decreasing and um, overall kind of a win for all of us. Exactly. So uh, the next story up, we have, uh, it's kind of a sad story. They've, they've had some challenges as Lordstown Motors will require additional capital to continue. It's kind of a dire situation, and they've kind of made that clear. This is the endurance, their kind of you know, commercial pickup truck that they've been showing off for a while. And uh, they showed a $125 million loss in Q1. You know, they don't have a product yet, and they've got employees and, you know, commercial spaces to pay for. So uh, it's going to be pretty tough. And so they're going to require additional capital to implement our business plan, and it may not be available um, so on acceptable terms, they say, and so they're they're cast into a little bit of doubt about their future going forward and if they're going to be able to actually pull this off. Um, they mentioned that a lot of their beta vehicles um, were supposed to be wrapped up and the testing was supposed to be uh, through and they should get into a larger scale rate of production. But part of me says, like, you know, doing this is really tough. Building cars is tough. And they've had to do it during the probably the most brutal, terrible time any company could possibly try to do business, which is during COVID. Um, we've seen supply chain disruptions to everybody. There are like Ford vehicles that are not being produced right now because of chip shortages and other things. So um, I, I, part of me says, I, I, I don't know that I've seen enough for them to, to, to really be excited about them. We don't talk about them very much. And building a car is tough. And I'm not sure if every single company will survive. Um, I'd love to take. I'd love to hear what you guys think um, about Lordstown. We've talked about trucks a lot lately. Is there? I mean, are they going to survive? Is there? Do you think they've got what it takes for the you know the, the inroads to be able to pull this off? Yeah, it, it was really interesting because you know everyone when when Lordstown came to market, everyone was like, "Well, GM's going to back them. It, it doesn't matter. They've got a, a blank slate that the GM can just back them." Um, and you know, it's now of course coming to fruition that they. They don't really have the backing that they thought they did. Um, now, having said that, their stock did rise uh, quite a little bit after this announcement. It, it tanked a little bit, and then it came back up. Um, but it uh, it definitely put pause on the fact that they didn't have the resources available. Um, I mean, you know, other car makers, you know, Rivian, for example, has done it, where they've got they they've they've been real secretive about it, so we don't know their exact financials. But we we can all estimate that they're doing really well. Um, Ford, for example, you know, with with the the new Lightning um, that they they're coming out with that one, they've got almost a hundred thousand reservations already. Um, a little bit of back uh, back of the napkin math, you know, a hundred thousand reservations. 
times $100 per reservation, that's a cool million that's banked ready for that. Even if, you know, three quarters of them, you know, only came, you only got three quarters of them to actually come to fruition, that's still three quarters of a million dollars. That's a good chunk to, to get some, some base backing going. So, yeah, my, my take on this is a little more pessimistic. I, I think their future is really in question because the fact that they're running out of money so close to when they're supposed to be launching the, the truck and they're cutting their production by like 50%, it's doesn't instill confidence for a company or people to come out and buy that truck because it makes the, you, that, that they may go out of business and then what do you do with your truck at that point? So it's like, it's gonna, I think, have a chilling effect on sales, which yeah. I think it's just gonna be a snowball going downhill. It's just like, there's, I feel like it's an almost an unstoppable thing at this point. I hope I'm well, wrong because I, I want more competition, but I just feel like they're not long for this world. It, it reminds me a lot of Ulta motorcycles. Um, the fact is that they came out, Ulta motorcycles came out real strong and heavy. I mean, they came out with four product lines. Um, they had, I, I want to say it was almost a million dollars in pre-orders. Um, they got the first, I think, 10,000 units out the door and wrapped up uh, wrapped up shop and walked away. Um and there were people that were left with with no orders available. Now no one can get parts, no one can do anything, and they've got these these lumps that are just sitting there um, that are are dead. <laughs> so there's there's one more part of the story which is really unfortunate for them because I mean they didn't plan this. Is the timing of it all? We've we've been through this really uh, kind of wacky roller coaster the first six months of this year. If you if you rewind time to January, there was talk about you know Lucid going uh, IPO via reverse merger, and so the SPAC game was was all the rave. Everybody was trying to go public via that route, and CCIV particularly being this really uh, speculative stock with a lot of excitement and buzz around it, that was like the moment the bubble burst was with CCIV. There's I mean the SPAC was a ten dollar holding company. And their shares were trading at $60 a share before they finally announced, and it came crashing down. And to me, that was the moment when this entire SPAC bubble kind of burst. So to be honest, consumers, I don't think they have the stomach for this at this point. Because, hmm. I mean, Lucid wasn't that different. They were engineering complete. They were ready. They were like, hey, we have this factory. We got to get this up and running. We need to go get ourselves a couple of billion dollars to get started. But they raised funds and went public. I think Lordstown, the, the people, the underwriters at Lordstown are probably thinking, guys, we can't do that right now. You don't want to do that right now. Trust me. And I think it's fair. We're in a wild west. We're in a new frontier with electric vehicles. And we'll look back in 10 years and there's going to be tons of money made, tons of new companies. But there are these waves on this roller coaster. And I think right now we hit a peak of excitement and buzz and hype and speculation. And now we're at this kind of low point where we need some come these companies to come through. Rivian, where are you at? We need to see the trucks on the road. Lucid at some point. They've been really quiet. So when those companies emerge and we see them kind of turning around to profit, I think we'll return to where we were before. But right now, there's probably a little bit of a cold snap on the EV investment front, is my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. There's going to be a little bit of a graveyard of like corpses of failed EV companies in the coming years. And and Lordstown could be one of those. All right. So Ohio is about to become one of the largest solar factory complexes outside of China. And this one, this got me really excited when I saw this in the news. 
It's a company called First Solar that already has a footprint here in the United States and produces about, I think it's a third of their solar panels actually produced here already. But they're basically going to double their production in the US. And this facility is going to be a 1.8 million square foot facility. And it's going to be producing about one solar panel about every 2.8 seconds. <laughs> just that's an astonishing amount of solar panels to produce. And China, of course, is the just like the dominant player in this space worldwide. So to have some real competition kind of being built up in the United States is going to bode well for what we're trying to do here in, this, in the United States, trying to build up our solar infrastructure to have more facilities here with American jobs, producing American panels that are being used in the United States. It's going along that whole path that, you know, Biden is trying to do a self-sufficient, energy-independent future for the United States. Every country is trying to do that. So this is going to be about 500 jobs here in the United States, and it's set to open, I think it's in the first half of 2023, and have a full capacity about two years after that. And the other interesting part of this is that their thin film PV panels don't rely on, was it, crystalline silicon, which is mostly made in China. So even the components they're using are not going to rely heavily on China, which means that's a good thing for the, the whole production flow of the business. So this is kind of a big news for the solar industry. What's your take? I, I think it's a great thing. Um, I mean, I've got panels on my roof, and they they definitely, um, they, I believe mine came from from Taiwan. But I mean, it, it's good to bring everything back. I think we've we've had a, a, a you know a lack of ability to have everything here in house in the U.S. Um, and bringing that all back into house, bring that all here to to work it here in the states. I think is a great thing. So. Um, yeah, the, this, this story, uh, Matt, if I'm honest, is my favorite story of the week. And it's something that we've talked about before. I think the pandemic really kind of shined a light on how vulnerable we were because we've been so, so happy to just offshore everything in the interest of 8% better margins and stuff. But I think what we've, what Tesla has shown me is manufacturing is kind of the sexy thing. Not, it's not like a necessary evil along the way. It's the thing. It's the thing that you could really take pride in. We used to do that. And at some point, China decided that they were going to do all the world's manufacturing. And it left us really kind of vulnerable. It, the early days, we couldn't even make masks, which is embarrassing. Like We as a country, every country should have manufacturing capabilities that are um, you know, that are stout. And we, I think we realized just how shorthanded we were for the first couple of months. There was shortages of everything. So this story, I think, will be kind of a, kind of a, a pendulum swing the other direction where we should do more uh, manufacturing in the U.S. And companies that get on this train early are going to be in good shape because there's going to come a point when China will no longer be a place you can go because Chinese labor and cost, um, Chinese salaries are going up, and eventually China is going to start turning us away, just like they did with our recycling. You know, China was our recycling. I don't know what they did with this stuff, but they took all of our recycling for a long time, and now they don't, and we have no idea what to do with it. And they'll do the same thing with manufacturing eventually. They'll have their own huge companies and their own huge things, and they're going to be like, oh, we, don't have, we don't have time for, for you guys, plus the cost will be almost on parity with U.S. labor. So highly automated, really you know, streamlined manufacturing in the U.S. I think is going to be huge, and it should be exactly the kind of thing that Biden is looking for. I think this, you know, they mentioned that this is exactly what Biden is on about, 
and for good reason. My only concern here is about, you mentioned the thin film. The thin film is way less efficient than like the, the, the especially the monocrystalline structure PV. Yep. So um, I'm hoping this isn't like just kind of random use cases of flexible. Like for example, you could, you could uh, contour any vehicle, like the roof of your car with these flexible panels. But I mean, the output is nothing compared to like the kind of panel you have on your roof, which is a either a poly or mono uh, uh, structure silicon uh, panel. So I'm hoping that they don't just limit themselves to that, that they do yeah. all of the above eventually. But to your point about supply chains and COVID, we don't know. But this is a huge first step. I, I hope I, my excitement, I hope is clear because I really think this is cool. It's good yeah. news. And it leads really into the last story. Do you want to take the last story? The U.S. is going to be taking some major steps here very soon uh, to work on um, increasing batteries and battery technology. Um, uh, the DOE, the Department of Energy, has set this goal for this new ambitious cycle of batteries. Um, and they've, they've done it with some really cool grants. Um, they've got a $17 billion grant from the Vehicle Manufacturing Loan uh, system that was put out, which part of that has gone to places like Rivian and Ford to develop manufacturing on these big pack levels. Um, and then the other part of that is to strengthen the environment uh, that for manufacturing. Um, I come from a, a battery manufacturing background, and you know this is this is gold to us because it increases our ability to say right, well we we need first dibs on this cell, or we need first dibs on this packaging, um, and it gives us that ability. Um, so that's, that's really nice for us. Um, and also it's backed by Congress. That's, that's the big thing is, you know, Congress is saying, let's get this through, let's get this done. Um, and it's going to be a 10 year plan to develop a complete domestic lithium battery supply all the way from mining through to, um, you know, modern, uh, modernization and then all the way through to production. Um, which is going to be, you know, stellar. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, this is the reason I thought this was so nicely tied together. To the last story is it's all about creating, bringing manufacturing back to the United States to be kind of energy independent. And so here we have solar panel manufacturing being built out, and now we have plans for the battery manufacturing infrastructure to be built out. So it's kind of the one-two punch of renewable energy. You kind of need both of these things together. Um, or, or you're going to still be dependent on other countries for manufacturing like China. Well, I mean, e Elon started this already partially with his mining operations that he set up um, mm -hmm. and finding, I think it was four or five mines, you know, here in the U.S. that he wanted to use. Um, so he already had that going. Um, and now we've got, you know, big government backing behind it as well for other companies to, to pick it up. So I think that the, 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 the train is just going to start rolling straight ahead. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what comes out of that. And hopefully, you know, it brings a dramatic price reduction down for uh, future battery cells and future battery technologies. Yeah, yeah, that's always a first step to, to bringing these kinds of prices down. I totally, totally agree with both of you guys. This is a really huge uh, step and a, and a big story. It, it kind of starts with what I, I mentioned the previous story about manufacturing and Elon. Whenever I see these events, by the way, we have... Uh, the plaid delivery event happening in a couple hours. I don't think we're going to live stream that one, but in the future, maybe Maddie, you and I should kind of coordinate and see if we could uh, live stream so you guys could watch it with us and get our feedback and stuff that we can share. But when I see Tesla events, what I always walk away from is, man, Elon, I don't think he cares about cars 
or solar panels or batteries. The man loves manufacturing. I think when he's in, in that factory and he sees one robot hand off to this and there's a person having to do step, he, he sits there and goes, why can't we automate that? And I think it drives him crazy. And I think he obsesses about it. He kind of got him in a little bit of trouble with the Model 3, trying to over-automate where a human could easily do the job much more quickly or simply. But I think Elon's obsession is nothing to do with cars or any of this stuff. I think he obsesses about manufacturing. And this is what I was saying about make manufacturing sexy again. Instead of this kind of evil that we have to have and go offshore, who cares? It could be the kind of kind of the source of pride for, for communities like it used to be. And there's tons of innovations left. And again, I, I credit Elon and Tesla for coming up with it, like these huge gigapress machines, right? Yeah. Where have where have the car companies been in terms of innovating the manufacturing side? A lot of companies just, this is manufacturing, this is what it is, and we just keep doing it day after day. But they keep asking, what if we could do this? What if we could do that? Could we get rid of all these welding spots and make it one casting? And they're, the end result is pretty killer stuff. So, yes, bring. I think manufacturing should should come back to the U.S. And I think we need to be leaders on like the most cutting-edge, automated, streamlined manufacturing processes around the world to the point where you really couldn't afford not to just get it made here. That that could be a future reality for us if we make the right investments in robotics and and AI and stuff. This is also something that needs to be happening around the world. It's not just here in the U.S. It's like the EU has been doing things like this for years now. They've been a couple steps ahead of us as far as policies and things like that. So it feels like the U.S. is finally kind of playing it's playing catch up. We're playing catch up. So it's it's about well, building all this out for everybody because we all need to be kind of energy independent. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to think that the last time that the U.S. actually had a press like this in their midst, you know, that they actually had the, the capability for was at the end of World War II when they stole it. Well, they, they didn't steal it, but they took it back from Germany um, because that was the two biggest presses in the world. Germany had them uh, for casting magnesium. Um, for the uh, uh, during the world the the war effort and so because of that they actually as part of the re- uh, replications they actually gave up the two presses one of them went to Japan the smaller one went to Japan um, and then the bigger one came to the U S um, and when that one came to the U S that was the biggest press in the world but Germany already had plans for one that was two and three times as big but never got to build it. Um, and now we have, you know, the, the Giga Press in, in, in Texas and the Giga Press in, in Fremont. Um, and both of those are, are championed by Elon. So, you know, that's the last time that really the U.S. had that big of a press um, at its disposal. So it's, it's the future. There's innovations to be had. Yeah. Um, and it'll be companies like this that figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for joining us. It was so much fun to have you here today. Oh, my pleasure. I was I was glad to be here. Um, so it was actually funny, you know, we were, we were walking around SeaWorld and he was like, hey, do you want to do, uh, to, to do vice versa? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I'm here. <laughs> so uh, it was it was a last minute thing to come on. I'm glad I joined. So yeah. Co- Comments have been very vibrant tonight. And reminder, obey the speed limits <laughs> before we jump. <laughs> o- obey the speed limits and hit that like button. Equally yeah. important. Yes. Equally right. important. Um, I want to stress that. Yeah, I was going to say, and don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Hit the notification bell so you don't miss an episode. We're live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 uh, p.m. Pacific. And you can always listen to the podcast version of the show at vice versa.show. And as always, thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you in the next one.